Well, I don't use props very often, but I have one this morning, and uh, I would imagine you would never guess what FedEx delivered to my house on Friday. You would never guess because I couldn't guess. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was something other than it was. And then I realized and remembered that I'd ordered something I wanted for a long time, eager anticipation. I knew what it was. Well, let's open it. I'll show you. I knew what it was at first when I got out the first part, the first clue. They weren't my grandmother's dentures. But then I got out the next part and I could put it together. Lower part, upper part, I got my skull. I've been wanting a skull for the longest time. I bought one of these for someone else, a friend. I have friends who have skulls on their desk and I now have my very own human skull. Laugh you might. And I, just to put you at ease, it's a replica. In fact, it's a cheap replica, $14.95. Um, it wasn't in the budget to have a real one. You can buy real ones, but that would be kind of weird. This isn't weird, but that would be kind of weird. So you might ask, why would I have a human skull? Why would I want a human skull like this for my desk? Well, why would I want a human skull for my desk? I want a human skull on my desk because I want to take my cues from theologians and philosophers who've gone before me and who are living, who put a human skull on their desk to remind them, to remind them of their mortality, to remind them of their weakness, and also hopefully to motivate them and to motivate in the right priorities. I hope that this skull has a good, let's, let's, I'll name it Patrick, perhaps. I hope the skull has a good ministry in my life, reminding me of my priorities. Get your priorities straight, my dad used to say. And I want the skull to help me with my priorities because I'm not going to live very long. And one day we all breathe our last breath and the world doesn't depend upon us anyway. Get your priorities straight. Get busy. Get motivated. Patrick. Well, let, let's keep it real. And I'll just set it right down here. So uh, anybody who, if they pan the camera down and anybody who tunes in and didn't hear the introduction is going to be really freaked out. So we'll, we'll just, we'll keep it real that way. By the way, the word Calvary means skull. So that's not why I bought it though. 1495, you can be reminded as well. Well, today we're going to talk about priorities and we're going to hear about priorities, thus the skull, a reminder of having the right priorities. And we're going to talk about priorities uh, as we hear from Jesus talking about priorities. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in the sixth chapter of the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. And Jesus helps us to get our priorities right, to have our priorities straight. He's going to say these familiar words in this chapter. Seek first, thus priority, seek first the kingdom of God. Familiar words are going to become more familiar today, even as we study this text together. But you, you, you get a two-for-one bonus, if you will, because Jesus not only talks about priorities, and priorities are important, obviously, but in the same context where he talks about priorities, he also talks about, this might surprise you, he talks about anxiety. The very place where he talks about getting your priorities straight, 
He talks about worry. He talks about anxiety, something that, that plagues the human race, something everyone struggles with on one level or another at different times. And he's going to use these familiar words in our text as well. Not only seek first the kingdom of God, but also do not be anxious. And we're going to see that the two are actually, actually related. So if we have our priorities straight and we're thinking clearly about what's ultimate and eternal, then we don't have to worry. When we're not thinking straight and we don't have our priorities straight, our tendency is to focus ultimately on things that are not ultimate and we have different kinds of anxieties. And so it's so good that the Lord addresses both of these. Uh, initially, as he's speaking in the sixth chapter, he's talking to, the, to his disciples, those who belong to him. He cares enough about those who belong to him to help them with their priorities and to help them with their anxieties. And I would want to encourage you, if you belong to the Lord Jesus, he cares enough about you to help you with your priorities and to help you with your anxieties. And so that's what we're aiming to do this morning from our Lord. I'm compelled to pray now to ask for God's help, so let's do that. Once again, Father, please help us. Help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see, spiritually speaking, that we might be receptive to, to the instruction of the one who knows everything about everything and who cares for his people. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 6, verses 19 to 34, and let's go ahead and read through the text before we look closer at detail. So beginning in verse 19, quoting Jesus, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your body, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness." If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, but yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, not more of value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And once again, so says the one who knows everything about everything and he cares more for his own than anyone. And so let's give special ear, special attention, special study to the one who knows, the one who can help, and the one who cares to help us. What I would like to do now is encourage you to start at the end of our text. Because at the end, he gives a summary. He he gives a summary that really provides what I would call the interpretive key to the whole thing. Sure, there are great details. There are all kinds of analogies and illustrations. But really, if I can cheat a little bit, the interpretive key comes at the end where he summarizes everything. So what we're going to do is invest some good time there And then we can read the rest and have it all make sense and fall into place. So let's look at that interpretive key to help us understand it and relate it to our lives. 33 says in chapter 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. There's the priority. And then verse 34 Complementing that, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There are the two main emphases. There's the primary one, you, got, you have to have the right priority. And then there's the complementary one, if you have the right priority, then you don't have to worry. But those are the two great emphases we need to be paying attention to. Have the great right priority and it will address the issue of your anxieties. That's what we're going to see this morning again and again and again. But let's step back now and look at verse 33 with some more detail and ask the question, what does, it, what does he mean? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that mean? To seek first the kingdom of God? Well, it's pretty obvious, I think, at first. To seek something first is to, to, to give it priority. Thus, we're talking about priorities. If you seek it first, it, it, it's the ultimate. It's the best. It's number one. So you give it your most attention, your most diligence. You focus on that more than anything. So when Jesus says, seek first, make this the biggest priority, that's what he's getting at. That's what he was getting at even in the words beforehand. But here we have the, the, the interpretive key. Seek it first. Make it number one. Pursue that. And what is it that we're to make number one? It's the kingdom of God, which, by the way, is loaded, right? That that carries a lot of freight, okay? There's a a lot there. It's it's assuming we know kingdom of God. It's assuming we know something about the earlier chapters of Matthew. It's assuming we know a lot about the Old Testament. The kingdom of God, the domain of God, the dominion of God, well, it, it even means more than that. It, it, it has to do with the fact that, that God's messianic kingdom, Messiah, Christ kingdom, it's something promised in the Old Testament uh, th- in different places, and it's a kingdom that's going to, to last forever. So you have to have a king who will be eternal, who doesn't die. Uh, it's, 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 so it's going to be ongoing, on-lasting, on to make up a word. God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Well, who can, who can fill those shoes? 
Well, it, it was promised to David, but David died, and David's children died, and sons died, and, and so we're looking, waiting, longing who, for one who would come in the line of David, who would be eternal. Well, thus, Jesus arrives on the scene. Jesus, who is the Christ, we've learned earlier in Matthew. So he's the one. The, 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 the pieces are coming together now. It's him. So God's kingdom is something that lasts forever. It's something where Christ is the king. He rules and reigns. And he's not a tyrant. Let's put that in there too. When we, carry, we have that, that, that title, carry a lot of freight. He cares for those who are members of his kingdom. He provides for them. He protects them. Read into that in context. They don't have to worry. They don't have to worry about anything. They don't have to have any anxieties because he's the savior who cares for them, protects them, provides for them. He's a kind, gracious king. So when he says pursue, prioritize, make it number one, the kingdom of God, let's see. Yeah, because you're, you're part of the family now. You belong to the king. He's your father. You're part of his great new creation because you're united to Messiah. It really is fantastic. It really is amazing. We're going to seek that first. In one sense, we could stop right here. If we can just have this absorbed into our minds and into our hearts and say, Jesus knows what he's talking about. Why would I be overly concerned with the temporal, non-lasting, when I should be focused on what's going to last forever, where all of my needs are met, and I'm already a citizen of it by virtue of the fact I've trusted in the Son? Priority number one, let me tell you, is only reasonable. Jesus is being absolutely reasonable here. It's the greatest thing. Why wouldn't you focus and prioritize the greatest thing? Now, there is an aspect as well that, that it's future still. We're looking to the future, which oftentimes has to do with our anxieties, because we learn from the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples earlier in chapter 6. What does he say? Your kingdom come. So there's, we might be citizens, but we're waiting for something better, something lasting and ultimate. If we want to keep building on this, if we're going to, to prioritize and seek first his kingdom, well, that means we're going, to, we're going to want to know something about who the king is, what he's like, what his promises are, why he can be trusted, why he's so important, why he's so worthy. We might also want to emphasize things regarding that kingdom. Remember back in chapter 6, earlier in the prayer, when Jesus says, you pray, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let, let's add that to it as well. So, so we, we long for things, kingdom things to be done now, in the here and now. I might even build upon this because later, when we, if we're going to talk about what does it mean to say, prioritize, make number one, the kingdom of God. Well, let's talk about the king. Let's know who he is. Let's know what his promises are. Let's know that it gets better at his return. There's so much involved. And I might even add to that, Jesus will later develop and he'll talk about his church. Uh, his apostles will talk about the church and the church is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and chapter 12 and in Ephesians chapter 4 as the body of Christ. Oh, that's Messiah. That means king. The church is the body of the king. 
So we belong to the church. We belong to the body of the king. So the church is a, is a, is a kingly kind of reality. And so when I say seek first, or he says seek first, and you say, what is that? Well, so that means we're into the things that have to do with the king. We're into his promises. We want his will to be done, his kingly will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a future aspect, if I didn't already say that. But also this has to do with churchly things. Because those are the things we emphasize as the body of the king. Seek first the kingdom. And I know, in one sense, you know how to do this. I know that I know how to do this. And by the grace of God, we can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking to those who belong to him. And he says, seek first the kingdom. Priority number one. I, I know we know how to do this because we're all, we're all into, into stuff. Right? If I can just maybe deviate a little bit from the text. Everybody's into something. Right? We're, we're all into things. We're, we're good at making things first. We're good at, at, at pursuing after different things. Uh, I have this little saying when I uh, see people, you know, we all have stickers on our cars. Maybe not all of us. But lots of people have stickers on their cars or different things. I paid attention even uh, driving in today. And, you know, some people have cutouts of their family and each kid has a little cutout on the back of the window or your child is a soccer star or your child is a basketball star or they at least play <laughs> number 55 or whatever, or, or whatever uh, it might be. I have a little thing that says... Uh, canyon on mine. It's real small and subtle because I just want to make sure the cyclists know that I'm a cyclist. And we're, we're all into something, right? You have an NRA sticker on or, or, or whatever political party you're a part of or candidate. We're all into something. And so oftentimes, because I think everybody should be into my thing and not your thing, I'll see somebody's, what I think is kind of a ridiculous kind of st- sticker on their car. And I think, what in the world? You know, what? Why did you put that on your car? You know, and, and I'll say out loud sometimes, I know I'm, I'm a bad person, but I'll say, everybody's into something. It's true of me too, right? We're good at this. We're good at making priorities and saying, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a committed fan. I'm about this. This makes my heart beat. This, this moves me. I spend money on this. I invest emotion into this. Well, I'm simply saying, you know what? There's, there's nothing wrong with being into things. God has given us a lot of good temporal things to be a part of. There's not a problem with that. But it proves that you can be into things. And we're supposed to be into the thing that lasts forever, that matters the most, where all of your needs are met. It's proof that we can do it. So, so redirect. Take some of those energies. Still be into all of your whatever you're into, because we're all into something, right? And, and, and don't have those things be first place. Seek first, priority number one. You know how to do it. I know how to do it. The kingdom of God. It only makes sense. Then he says, complimenting that, and his righteousness. And I think they they end up interpreting one another. They're, they're, They're not two standalone different realities. If you're seeking his kingdom, you are seeking his righteousness. Now, and it's a great, grand thing to say. Seek His righteousness. It's great and grand if we understand what it means. Perhaps we don't. His righteousness, seek, prioritize, make number one God's law. And just about the time I said that, you went, what? Not all of you, but some of you did because because evangelicals and maybe people at large have this kind of 
phobia of the word law, or we have, as R.C. Sproul would say, we have an allergy to, to, to all things law. Maybe it's because we're sinners, but also because we're not very biblically informed. His righteousness means His law. So, we're supposed to be into God's law. What's most important? God's law is most important. And you say, say what? Well, for these, these disciples who belong to Jesus, who are not going to be saved by the law, they have to be saved by Jesus, chapter 1, verse 21. They've already been described as having God as their father, their father, their father, their father. They're already part of the family. They don't have law to be saved. Jesus accomplishes salvation for them. He came to fulfill all what? Righteousness. He came to fulfill the law on their behalf. They belong to him now. But now that they're in the family, now that somebody's kept the law for them so they can be accepted by God, they're back in the place where they can see the law as the psalmist does, as good. It's right. It's the true revelation of God. It's the true will of God. It's what God wants. It's what God expects. It describes who God is. It reflects His character. Even in chapter 22, you might know, you might remember, but I'll remind you to help you with your allergy if you have one, or phobia if you have one. Prioritize His righteousness. Prioritize His law. Remember in chapter 22, or let me tell you in chapter 22, Jesus defines the law of God, the righteousness of God, as loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's the summary. And loving your neighbor as yourself. There you have it. The essence of God's law. To give God first place, ultimate, because He and He alone is God and he, he alone is worthy. And then the image bearers of God we should treat specially as His image bearers because they're unique among the creation. And so then it can make sense. Then it can make all the sense in the world. What do I want to prioritize as number one? What do you want to have be number one in your life? Number one in your life has to be God's kingdom. God, Christ, the King. The people who belong to the King. The righteousness of God. The law of God. That which will last forever. We want to be like the psalmist in Psalm 119. I think three different times. Oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. We wouldn't say that, even though it's good, righteous, and true, if we didn't belong to the king by faith because of the son. We would, we would run from God's law. But now that we belong to him, we want to be like this, the redeemed psalmist. And, and we want to be embracing what Jesus says here. Number one thing in my life is pursuing righteousness. Not to be saved, but because I am saved. I want that more than anything else. Priority number one. What does God say? What does he say about himself? What does he want me to do? How can I love him appropriately? How can I treat others appropriately? Priority number one now is his kingdom and his righteousness. And really they end up sort of defining one another. They go together almost as a parallel. Let me tell you, these things are deservedly priority number one. They're the most important things. There's only one God. It would make sense that you would pursue His kingdom above all other things. Deservedly, they're worth our first seekings. Does this mean we, aren't, we shouldn't seek anything else? No, it doesn't mean that. Jesus is going to encourage them to do other things. Jesus isn't saying, okay, now sign up for the monastery. 
Uh, Jesus isn't going to say, uh, or through his apostles, okay, now quit your job. Okay, you can forget about your family. You can forget about all of it. No. Seek first, priority number one. You know how to do it, and so do I. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. They deserve pride of place, as some would put it. We all know how to be passionate, but it might mean redirecting our passions. I realize that's as long as a sermon. I have, I've covered 14 pages of notes, more than I usually would even have. But there's more. Now, the complementary priority, it's not the ultimate priority, but something that complements, it's put in, in the negative, but still looking at the summary in verse 34 where he says, therefore, see, they're related, they're connected, one, one feeds the other, therefore, do not be anxious. Maybe I'll put it another way, just so we don't gloss over it. Therefore, be done with your anxiety. Therefore, be done with your worrying about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let the big thing be the big thing. And if you let the big thing be the big thing, by necessity, the lesser things won't be the big thing. And I'm not, I'm not saying this is easy. But Jesus cares. Jesus cares. Make the big thing the big thing. And if you don't make the big thing the big thing, you're going to make lesser things the big thing. And you're going to have big problems. so helpful that he links these two. And you might be in a bad spot where you've not cultivated the big thing as the big thing. There's hope. But, 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 the, but the hope ha has to come from the one who knows everything about everything and who cares more about you than anybody else does. It, it really is a theological issue first. When I make temporal things, eternal things, or I act like they are, it's no wonder I end up having so many problems. Well, we'll talk more about that. But if you're going to even tune out now mentally, Jesus, the one who is wisdom, is being honest with his disciples. He cares about them. He's not scolding them. I care. Seek First, if you want to know something, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then he elaborates a little, but then it's, therefore, don't have anxiety about temporal things. God help us with this. It's one reason why the Bible then is filled with emphasis on the kingdom of God, the king, his works, his mercy, his power, his sovereignty, his grace. It's why the Bible reads more like a history book than it does a how-to book. Priority number one has to do with the king and his kingdom and his righteousness. 
and the other problems, they might be real problems, but they are lesser problems. And so we put our focus in the right place. It's why I'm drawn toward, and you are too if you're part of Omaha Bible Church, by now you know, toward doctrinal preaching, toward biblical preaching. Because if I'm going to always and forever only hear about the practical, life is filled with all kinds of issues. And it's never actually going to nudge out my issues and deal with my issues. Ultimately, in this broken here and now world, what I need is to have a right perspective on what will last forever. I have problems. You have problems. We have all kinds of problems in our world. Not that they shouldn't be dealt with or addressed. I'm not saying that. But you've you got to let the big thing be the big thing in your life. Okay, we're 16 pages in. We better start speeding it up. With the summary in our minds, we can go fast now. It's all going to interpret itself. It's going to make sense. So let's go ahead and look at these analogies and illustrations and points that he makes rather simply because now we've already looked at the interpretive key. Verse 19 says, that's the beginning of our text. 19 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Priority investment in the temporal, right? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's the eternal. Temporal versus the eternal. Priorities in the right place. Then he goes on to say, after the comma, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Super simple. Make good investments. The best investments you can make whether it be with your money or with your time or with your emotions or with your focus, would be on something that's going to last forever. There, there it is. And then the ramification comes in 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Priority number one, your passion, what really drives you, what really motivates you, the real you, your heart. Well, everybody's into something. It's okay to be into things. But have your heart be ultimately in the right place with the right focus, the ultimate, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make your greatest investments in that which is wisest. Make your greatest desire that which is the greatest. Time for an illustration. We have time for an illustration. I can... You look like you need an illustration as I can see you through the, t- the screen there. <laughs> just kidding. Felt like a televangelist there for a second. If you just put your hands on the screen, never mind, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> I digress, <laughs> sorry. Invest in what is a better investment as opposed to investing in things that aren't the ultimate investment. So let's have our hearts be captured with righteousness, the things of God, that which is eternal, His kingdom, His King, Christ. It just makes sense. It's just wise because moth or rust go on to destroy otherwise. It reminds me of when I bought my first new vehicle. And I was mentored by a father. I was discipled by a father who was like an autoaholic, I guess. I guess I would say. <laughs> I mean, new cars all the time. 
paid cash all the time, just all, always into cars all the time. And by the way, I'm not bashing cars. I'm not, uh, cars are fine and good. They're just not the ultimate thing. My whole point is not even about cars, so relax. Bought a new vehicle. I'd had some good jobs in the summer. It saved a lot of money. I'm in my, just finished my first year of college. Uh, I'd sold my clunker car. My first car was $400. I bought it from Warren Buffett's uncle who died. And I sold it for 800 I figured Warren would be happy that I was wise with my money. Anyway, so I digress again. Bought my first new vehicle. And I was taught by my father, you wash your car, hand wash, never a car wash. Hand wash every week at least. You dry it with a chamois. You don't use a towel. You wax your car regularly, hand wax, details, everything. So much so that you would never, ever, ever, ever think about closing the car door with anything other than the handle because you know you have oil on your skin and maybe a little bit of dust and dirt and that will put fine scratches into the paint. I mean, we were all about it. So then upgrade the suspension, uh, upgrade the wheels, get a, a really good sound system, uh, have the, the, the windows tinted. Truth were to be known, maybe a little bit darker than legal. I mean, we're going we're gonna to go for it all the way. I love that vehicle. I was all about it. Until the next year, I totaled it. And to go to that impound yard or whatever it is to try to go get my stereo speakers or whatever bad I was up to was like an aha moment. I wasn't a Christian. I'm not trying to make any points about Christianity. It was just one of those things like, oh, huh. Never, ever, ever have I concerned myself since about whether or not I shut the door of a car with a door handle unless maybe it's your fancy car. It was just the aha moment, like I invested all of that time and all of that focus and all of that care and I read people the riot act over, you know, whatever, this, that, and the other thing. And now it's totaled in the junkyard and it looks terrible. It's just helpful. Again, I'm not making a point about cars. I'm just making a point about investments and the aha moments. And now whenever I see that certain make, of, make and model of vehicle, well, the fact is I don't see it. That was in 1988. They're not on the street anymore because they're all junkers. Okay? So, again, point's not about cars, but the point is moth and rust destroy. So it helps us to see, you know what? I want to invest in something that's better than that. It makes more sense. Jesus' point is not about cars or any of those things. His point is, Invest your ultimate, your heart, in that which will last forever because to do otherwise would be foolish. That's what he's getting at. Priority number one. And nothing can hurt priority number one because it's eternal. So give your heart away ultimately to the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Okay, now he gives us a word picture Here comes the word picture. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And commentators say that's challenging to interpret. It's challenging to understand. And so I I, I would agree that 
you, you think it makes sense at first and maybe it doesn't totally make sense. And Well, we can at least have it make sense in this, in, in this sense. If you can't see clearly, if you can't see right, if you will, it has an effect on your whole body. So let's start there. And then let's go maybe a little bit further and see that he's making a spiritual point, not a physical point. So the physical would be, if we can't see right, it affects the rest of our body, generally speaking, rather adversely. But spiritually speaking, here's Leon Morris in his helpful commentary. Leon Morris who says, this is hard to interpret. Leon Morris who has probably the best commentary in print on Matthew. Just as a healthy physical eye means illumination for the bodily functions, so a healthy eye of the soul means enlightened living. I think that probably is a good way to understand what he's getting at. If your spiritual desires are off, there are huge ramifications. If your spiritual priorities aren't right, it affects all of you in a bad way. Would complement our context. Spiritual desires aren't properly aligned. It affects your whole body, spiritually speaking. Then for another analogy, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one, hate the one, and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Why does he say hate and use such strong words? I don't know exactly. Dramatic effect? Or also because he's about ready to talk about God. And you're either all in on the one true God or you're all out. And so he can use love and hatred. Because you can't be half in on the one true God. If there were two gods or 17 gods, you could divide things up. And you could be halfway committed and give him part of your devotion. And you wouldn't have to seek his kingdom first. But when we're, we're talking about God, you, 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 you can't give him half. You're either all in the one true God and all the other things are good gifts that come from him, but they certainly ought not be on the same level. That, that seems to be his point. You cannot serve God. You can't have him be the ultimate and have something else be the ultimate. It doesn't even make sense. There are no half measures. Therefore, again, seek first him and what lasts forever. Don't treat your other things like they're on a similar plane. It's nonsensical. I, I just want to say, at this point in time, Jesus is being eminently reasonable. He's being very rational, very reasonable. He's dealing with facts. He's helping us with facts. He's saying, just, just, just listen. Focus on the right thing and it'll help you deal with the other hard things. And this, no doubt, does not come natural to us, or he wouldn't have to say it. Our, our bent is to prioritize the wrong things. Even if we say, God is number one. But in my practice, my tendency is to not act that way or to think that way. And it's no wonder I have all these other problems. Now he, come, now he makes the anxiety connection. And I'm so worried about how to do this next part. I'm, I'm kidding. Here he, here he goes. Verse 25. Therefore. Okay, here's the connection. Therefore. Priority, priority, priority on God. Therefore, I tell you, I, the, the kind, gentle, 
pastor, shepherd, the good shepherd. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And the implied answer we all know is yes, yes, yes. Then he says in verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, than, more value than they? Implied answer again, we know, is yes. And that same God, he says, is your heavenly Father. Father, 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 Father cares for His own, for His children. It's a simple point about care. Verse 26, And which of you by being anxious? Which of you by your anxieties? Because you're not focusing on the right thing, giving your heart to the right thing, you're giving your heart to lesser things, though they might be important things. Which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And if you were looking at a computer screen right now, I would say you should let the cursor blink. Which of you, by your anxieties, is adding a moment to your life? What good is it doing? It's not doing any good. Then he says... 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And now he does get stronger. Right? Now, now, now it's the, the little bit more tough love. Isn't it interesting? You of little faith, at least in our text, they haven't done anything wrong. This, this is a Sermon on the Mount. I mean, they're, they're standing there in silence. Probably standing there. He's sitting there, as was the custom. And they haven't said boo. They haven't said anything. And he's calling them out. He's calling them out for their worry. You have little faith. And you think, what, what? Maybe it's because he knows the human heart. He, he knows this is just how it is. This is default mode. This is, this, is, this is part of not being glorified yet. Putting the big emphasis on the things that aren't the big things. And twisting everything around. And, and, and then we put ourselves in a bad spot. Oh, you have little faith. Isn't that interesting that he says that to them? Remember, uh, faith, again, is tied to, to an object, okay? It's not just, you know, you guys just need to go, go get your, your faith cup filled up. You just got to try harder and just have more faith. No, you have little faith, weak faith, small faith, in God, your Father. He keeps saying it. Your Father, your Father, your Father, your Father, your Father, your Father. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father. You, you, you have a, a close familial, oh, big word, okay? Important word, family relationship. 
to not trust in Him to provide for your needs or put it negatively, to be worried is for, for, for you to not have appropriate faith in God. Your, your, faith, your faith is misguided. It's misdirected. Your faith is in you. Or your faith is in somebody else. Or your faith is in a group of people. Or, or, or in something else. And Jesus cares enough about them and He cares enough about us to say, listen, the worry problem is a faith problem. It goes back to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, the things of God. And, and maybe part of it is we don't know the things of God. We don't know about this God. Well, we're not giving ourselves to this God, so, so no wonder we have the problem. It's a common human misstep for this to happen, and that's why He's calling them out, no doubt. 31 says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those who don't have the one true loving God as their Father... You see? You see? It's so good. For, for the Gentiles, the, the ones who don't have Yahweh, the one true living, covenant-making, covenant-keeping, loyal God, for the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly Father. So there's the contrast. I put a circle around Gentiles and your heavenly Father. Don't be like the people who don't have God as their heavenly Father. Your heavenly Father knows, what you, knows that you need them all. That's theology meets practice. That's theology meets doxology meets practice. We, we see who God is and we worship Him and it crowds out the other stuff at least insofar as it can in the here and now. Then 33 says, and we'll wrap up, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and these things will be added to you. He'll take care of all of your needs. And then 34 says, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's springtime and that means I'm supposed to do something to my yard. I don't know what I'm supposed to do to my yard. I've messed up my yard. I've killed all kinds of things. Don't know. But, but what comes to my mind is weed and feed. I don't know if it's time for weed and feed or not. I'll have to get on the internet and find out. But I think weed and feed. And so since spring is sprung and it's on my mind and I'm so happy that we're not going to have a snowstorm this week like we had last week, it's time for weed and feed, I think. I'm going to look into it. But I'm thinking about our text. I'm thinking about our text and you and me and the need to feed this thing that's not really a thing. But, but, but to, to help us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness... I think you know that's the right thing to do. I know that's the right thing to do, but how am I going to do it? Well, I, I need to feed it. I, I need to, okay, who is this king? Who is this God? What is he like? What promises has he made to me? Has he kept his promises in the past? How can I know he's going to keep his promises? Uh, uh, these kind of questions need to be asked and answered. And the Bible gives us these kinds of questions and answers. And Week in and week out at Omaha Bible Church, you're going to have these kinds of answers given to reinforce and to help feed the great reality that we have so that we can have, if I may, less of the weeds. Get your priorities straight. And I'm going to help you with your priorities. We're here to help you with the priorities. This is the body of Messiah, the body of the King, the family of God, so that we can have our focus be the right kind of focus because we're probably going to forget the focus just like the disciples would have. Let's have this be a good time for remembering we need to feed the right priority 
And maybe we need to starve the other priority, but one way to make sure that we feed the right priority, or excuse me, we get rid of the wrong priorities, is to have the right one. I return once again to the psalm that we started with, and then we'll end with prayer. Psalm 110, excuse me, 111, verse 2, Great are the works of the Lord. And I love the psalm. I'm dying to preach on that psalm now. Great are the works of the Lord. And he gives us some of them in the psalm. Redemption, salvation, covenant making, covenant keeping. Great are the works of the Lord. And then he says, studied, careful inquiry, investigation. Roll your sleeves up. Put your reading glasses on. Whatever it takes. Studied, focused on, dug into, investigated again by all who delight in them. Ah, we want to study them and study this God so that we can seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. He's good to give us this message, I think. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for Omaha Bible Church, for the men and women and the boys and girls. Uh, We long to be together physically, to worship you together as is so rich and meaningful to us. Sustain us in the meantime. Encourage us through your spirit and your word. And Lord, those who are our guests, even watching and participating that way, bless them and encourage them to look to Christ, to trust in Christ for righteousness acceptance by you so that we could then pursue righteousness as those who are part of your family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.